Hope everybody's doing well. If, uh, if you're new here today, just wanted to say welcome. Uh, glad you're here. If you have any questions, you can go back to the, the info desk, and I know somebody would be happy to be able to answer questions for you about our home cornerstone. And so here's what we're going to be doing today. We're back in 2 Corinthians. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. Uh, specifically, though, I'm going to have you go to 2 Corinthians 13. So we're going to go to the very end of the book today when we're kind of taking our, our flybys. What we've been doing in studying the book of 1 Corinthians is we've been working to this point, and I hope what you've caught our whole way through teaching the book of 2 Corinthians is it's just a book loaded with conflict. Um, part of the reason that I was so excited to get to the end is, is because I believe all of us in this room, I don't care who we are, what we've, where we've come from, all those different backgrounds, every one of us in this room has conflict every single day, every single week, and many times we don't know what to do with that conflict. And I believe that what Paul's doing here in 2 Corinthians is giving us a master's class on how to deal with conflict. So if you're somebody that struggles knowing how to deal with conflict, I really do think both 1 and 2 Corinthians are phenomenal letters for you to study and, and learn from, I think, Paul, just the master of how he dealt with conflict within the church. But what we did last week is we, we kind of skipped a stone across 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13, 14, and today we're going to land at the very end. But what we tried to, to get to last week is that in conflict, and just put this in the back of your head, in conflict, it is impossible to solve it without understanding the problem. Now, you know what I'm talking about. So often we deal with what I would just call like maybe symptoms. We deal with all the things around the problem. But what we see Paul doing here is he was working through 1 Corinthians, even all the other letters he sent, through 2 Corinthians, and he's getting to this point finally in chapters 10 through 13 where he's about ready to put his finger on the problem, and the problem was these, these people that were called the super apostles. Now what they were doing is they'd infiltrated the church, they, they, were, they were kind of rearranging the church to become a, a church that was no longer the church that God intended, and so Paul knew he had to deal with them. But if you've ever dealt with a problem before, which I'm assuming is all of you in here, you know the problem, but have you ever found that you're also the problem? And then the person that you're dealing with or people you're dealing with, they might not be the problem, but they're also the problem. In fact, Paul, the way he confesses it in 2 Corinthians, both in 1, 8 through 10, and then also by the time we get to 2 Corinthians 12, 7, is he confesses he has a problem with not trusting God. He confesses that he has a problem with pride. So God needs to give him what, what he calls as a messenger from Satan, a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming prideful. Paul just confesses to him, look, in this trying to figure out this problem thing, we got issues. I have issues. But anybody that's ever studied First and Second Corinthians also knows this church had issues. And so when you're trying to solve the, the problem... We have to come to the place that in solving this, we too have problems. We have, we have sin that we're dealing with. And the way that we kind of talked about that sin is just this battle for my kingdom, my wants, my desires, my goals, my dreams. And the way that when you have two people or more people that collide around my dreams, my goals, my desires, it's just going to be conflict. Now, what Paul does here that I think is really great is he walks them through this, with this understanding of this problem, and he makes sure that they understand that it's messy, it's painful, and I would even put it this way. It then, in the midst of dealing with this, and my, my wife and I were talking about it this week, have you ever noticed that when you start to deal with the problem, then new sin comes to the surface in your life? 
And then you've got to deal with that. But what Paul wants them to know and what he wants them to understand is, is that still when we work through this reality, when we struggle through it, whether we avoid conflict, we talked about avoidance of conflict, or whether we seek conflict, the working through conflict has this phenomenal capacity to it, which we're going to get more in today. It grows us up. I would say one of the main reasons that you and I do not grow in our relationship with Jesus is because we don't deal with conflict like scripture calls us to deal with conflict. But when dealt with correctly, the beautiful part about it is, is God takes something that's so difficult and so hard and he resurrects it in this beautiful way and he uses it as the means to begin to change us and make us into the people he wants us to be. So conflict is hard, it's necessary, it's something that we have to take on. And so if last week was about the problem, these super apostles, which we all have, we have these things in our life. What we're going to do this week is we're going to go fast forward to the end and we're going to ask the question, what's the trajectory of what Paul's calling us to then? What is the final outcome that he's after? What is it that in my, my, my dealing through conflict, what is it about this that we need to get to? What is, the, what is his end game and what he's trying to move us forward on? Now, in working it through... He comes to this passage of scripture. Now, let me just, let me, whoa, did I do that? Everybody, okay, don't touch it. Leave it right where it's at. Now, let me, let me go through this passage of scripture because this is going to become very important to us dealing through this idea of the trajectory or what is it that we're pushing forward through in conflict. Now, watch this. Verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. And now here's the key three words that we're going to really zero in on today to kind of understand how we deal with conflict. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It's going to be fun to talk about that one, huh? And all of the saints greet you. Just so you know, the takeaway is going to be very odd, so just preparing you for it. No, it's really not. But all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is where Paul wants him to arrive. This is where he's working towards. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up a couple uh, in our church. One of our elders, uh, Brent uh, Seamer, and his wife, Debbie. And they're going to begin to just walk you through a conflict that they had in their own lives with, uh, with uh, just something from their past. And I want you to listen closely as they talk through how they aim for restoration. But I'll just put it this way. Sometimes we have to deal with problems that always don't have a good end to them. But I want you to see how God walked them through it. So if you don't know them, take a chance to know them. Uh, just absolutely love them. So let's give them a hand for coming up here and sharing. Well, good morning, everyone. Hello. Debbie and I are... <laughs> the conflict avoiders. Um, so we really don't want to be up here. <laughs> but as much as we're conflict avoiders, I work at the city of Simi Valley, and I resolve conflicts all day long. So I, I can't get away from it. 
And I had an episode this last week um, that was just kind of, was a conflict in my life. A couple months ago, I joined a gym. Overall, it's been very, very good. Nice people, good relationships with the owners and with some of the young ladies that I've been working out with. And, you know, overall, it's very good. But um, the music is, um, well, most of all, I don't understand the words. You know, it's a totally different generation. But then last week, I did understand some of the words. And they were just like right in my face and right in my face. So it's like, oh my goodness, and it got worse and worse. And then I get this thing in my tummy. It's like, oh, I really should go say something to the owner. I'd really rather not say anything to the owner. I don't want to be that person. It's just, it's so hard to confront somebody when you know you're going to say something that they just don't want to hear. Um, but I finally did, you know, get up the nerve and found it. God gave me an opportunity to be able to speak to the person, the owner, privately, and said, you know, the only words I understood of that last song were, and I said the words, and he goes. Uh, okay, well, well, we'll try to be, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take out those songs, you know. So um, in that case, I think that it was a good confrontation, even though it was hard, and there was resolution there. But it, it's not easy. So we, we know how to enter conflict, um, but it's not our favorite to do. Um, in our flesh, we would do anything but to tell you this story. And this story starts something like a, a, a normal day, one of these type of things that Debbie was dealing with. Do I say something? Do I not? But it goes from there. But we hope that in the power of Christ that this story would help edify and equip his church. So Debbie and I experienced a, a significant um, conflict many, many years ago that even today stands unre unresolved. Um, but because there still is the possibility of reconciliation and restoration, that we believe because of what Jesus taught in Matthew 18, that we need to be really indirect about this. So I hope that we can accomplish that. Um, Matthew 18 is really clear as Jesus talks about conflict, that first, go to your brother that offended you and seek reconciliation, seek restoration. That was the hard thing. That's the first thing that happens during the day. And then you do that, and it doesn't work. So then it says, get one or two witnesses to go with you. Now, the thing is, what we've been learning here is those witnesses shouldn't just go along to be witnesses. Probably the first thing they should ask is, is this all about your kingdom? And I think that's what you need to do. We were talking about not having friends around you that coddle your own, you know, the feelings and your offense. You need witnesses that can challenge that. And then when they go with you, they can witness, they can help try to bring restoration. And then if that doesn't happen, then those witnesses become the witnesses before the entire church to then take one final shot at restoration. So that's the background. And we understood and knew Matthew 18 very well in the beginning, the end, and even now through this circumstance. So I told you that the conflict was never resolved, and so far there's not been any restoration. So I'm going to tell you this story by creating a situation for you. And remember, it's just hypothetical, but everything that I did is the best I can remember. So imagine that uh, we're in, Debbie and I are in a small Bible study. And I'm co-leading the study. And 
the leader's theology just kind of is a little wonky, just a little bit on some pretty significant issues. And I know way back then I wasn't thinking about my kingdom. I didn't have this sermon, which I wish I had 40 years ago, but didn't have it. Or really to understand, should I be looking for that plank in my own eye before I talk about the speck in the other? And looking back, I'm not so sure that it was all about him being wrong or whether I wanted to be right. But in any case, I confronted him. And unfortunately, he just rebuffed my concerns and the the problem was not resolved and the theological issues continued. Then a little bit later, the group heard about a instance where he had a extremely uh, ugly outburst of anger against former members of our group. Um, now that meant the group was now conflicted and someone did finally confront him and he responded that it was really the problem of the people that had left and not himself. Then privately he came to me and said that now he knew that I was the reason for the conflict in the group. And not only that, it was Debbie and I. That was conflict, which was hard to deal with and I chose to avoid at that point. But because I had no other source, I needed to reach out to to two witnesses, which I did. They had already heard about the anger issue and were a little concerned on the theology. So we all went and met with the man, the leader. But my two witnesses kind of withered in front of his abrasive character, and the matter was not resolved. Um, After that meeting, that leader came to me privately again and said that he had never trusted me and would never trust me. I mean, that causes you to be speechless. I mean, what can you say to appease, to satisfy? Um, My mouth was closed. So Debbie and I had no other recourse but to leave the group. Without the support of the one or two witnesses, there was no way that I was going to bring this to the group. And because of the unity of the body being so important to us, that that was more important than to be unjustly accused. So we had to leave the group and not explain why. And that hurt. That hurt bad. And I know it hurt a lot to Debbie and... We did not deal with conflict, so it was a lot that she probably didn't tell me then. And probably <laughs> it also hurt our children as well. You know, you you grow to love a community, and you know you've got your little niche, and all of a sudden, all of your friends are gone, and affects your children, affects your friendships. It was very, very difficult. So to be separated from those that we loved, and then to leave, and have even some of them now believe that we must have been the basis of the problems that the group had had. And then finally, a little bit after that, the group actually did ask the leader to leave uh, because of his unrepentant outbursts of anger. And as a result, the theology issues were never dealt with. Or the things privately that he had told me were never being able to be resolved. So, um, 
A number of years after that, the group sought reconciliation, not restoration, because restoration would have invited him back to the group, but he want, they wanted rest, uh, reconciliation of relationship between themselves and him, and they invited uh, myself back to that. Uh, unfortunately, this leader had no repentance to offer for his theology or his outbursts, um, but he did say his anger was better managed now. Uh, he was civil to me, but he really wasn't interested in developing our friendship again, and it was clear still that he didn't trust me. But the group felt that enough had been said and that bygones could be bygones, and we all parted ways. So all of these years, the sting has kind of gone, but telling you this story certainly makes me very sad and made us extremely conflicted to even be up here telling you this story uh, because the problem did not go away. And I'm conflicted that if in any way I've told this story that it might disrespect my former friend, even when I'm trying to tell this story from my viewpoint. So my only prayer is that God would somehow bring an eventual reconciliation with my brother in Christ. We're still uncomfortable when we visit the group. We can't share the true and full story. Um, but it makes us appreciate Cornerstone all the more. We appreciate you so much. As Todd and I discussed the story a few days ago, the Lord brought much to mind, and especially thinking about what has my kingdom got to do with all of this? Could I have done anything differently? Well, yes. I'm sure my sin raised its ugly head during that whole situation that I'm probably still oblivious to at this point. There was a lot of pride in just being right, knowing you were on the right side of things. And it's like, it felt good to be right. And I know that I had pride in that area. And as much as I wanted to defend God's kingdom, I know that my kingdom was along for the ride. Um, but I can only pray that God would bend my failures to serve his purposes. So we've shared this cautionary tale and I can tell you from my own experience that it is very easy to avoid conflict in the flesh because you probably have a good idea that it's going to reveal your own sin. But it's also very easy to pursue conflict in the flesh when what you really want is to be right. So right here, I need to confess to you after this conversation with Todd, that I need to grow spiritually. Because when did I stop praying for the restoration of my friend? I've forgotten to even be praying for that. Well, that restarts now. Thank you. So let's break that down a little bit, what he just talked about. I think one of the reasons I wanted to use his story is because you know this, when you deal with conflict, not every story comes to a good end. We always, sometimes when we have conflict, right, we always have a, an intention that it would come to a certain end, but the reality is it doesn't. And I would say this, 
One of the greatest reasons we're so disappointed when we're working through conflict is because we think we have control over the outcome. Okay, I hear everybody, uh uh-huh. Suddenly we became charismatic. But there's just this side of it, right, where it's so true. We think somehow we have control over the outcome. We have so little control, other than the fact I would say this, as opposed to us faithfully walking through it. That's what I hope you heard from them. They were people just like you and I. They struggled. We, we talked about the fact that in telling this story, by keeping it vague, it was going to kind of lose its punch and the, the heartache that they went through. But I think at the end of the day, what I hope you heard from them was their heart for this thing called restoration. Restoration is a word that I hope as you deal with both maybe in your marriages, your families, your workplaces, shoot, even when you're out kind of at the kids' games that you're dealing with these things, is that you start to realize that conflict, the goal is not that we can get restoration, but if you remember right from that verse I put up earlier, but we can aim for restoration. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, because we're never guaranteed it, then what does it mean now to make it this aim of ours? So in other words, what is it that we need to now be doing in our conflict to be able to move from conflict towards restoration? What is it this is about? Now, one of the things that I think is important to understand kind of in working through this issue of conflict is the difference between reconciliation and restoration, okay? That's kind of what we're going to talk about. There's a, there's a contrast between reconciliation and restoration. Now, Paul dealt with reconciliation when he was working through first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Now, if you got your Bibles, you can open up there. But let me, just, let me read this to you so you can kind of understand a little bit about where he's going. In 2 Corinthians, he'd been laying out this magnificent plan of God, whereby which God has drawn all people to himself, had transformed them, made them different through the work of Jesus Christ, and in making them, making them transformed through the work of Jesus Christ now, he had done something that had created what we'll, we'll talk about here in a second, which is peace between me and God. Now, the word that he's going to use for this idea of creating peace between me and God, because we need to understand that we used to be at enmity with God, Romans 5 tells us, is that he did that through this process called reconciliation. Now, watch this. He says, all this is from God, this big giant plan that we talked about, who through Christ, look at this, reconciled us to himself. He made the way for us to be able to get to him. And then it says, those of us that have now come to him, he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting, here's the key, their trespasses against them. In other words, in this reconciliation process now, peace has been made between us and God, which we're gonna look at the book of Colossians here in a second. But this peace that's now made between us and God is now something that we're to proclaim to the world. So just get this in your head. Here's what reconciliation is, and I wrote this down so we can kind of have it. In the biblically cosmic sense, reconciliation is bringing broken creation, that means us, back into this right relationship with God that he intended at the very beginning when he created. Reconciliation is is bringing these things back that shouldn't be together by making peace, and the way that he made this peace was through Jesus Christ. Now we see this like in, in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. You can just look at the screen. Now watch what he does here to explain this idea of reconciliation. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ coming to earth. 
and through us to reconcile to himself all things. That's why I said not only us, but creation, everything. He is, he is making peace between him and all that he's created, whether on earth or in heaven. And I love this, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the first time that you realized you had peace between you and God, but I remember it very vividly. I remember what it meant to be a person that had sinned against this God, had wronged, had, had felt the shame of what it meant now to be outside of God. And the first time somebody ever really explained to me the cross where I begin to understand it was, is that those now who place their faith in cross or in, in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross now have absolute peace between them and the Father. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. We are good. Now in that though, what he's talking about in this message of reconciliation though is that it extends itself past just God and I and it begins now to transform itself in how we deal with other people. In other words, God doesn't wanna just make things between he and I good. He intends now in this conflict that we used to have if we're now following him by faith to now begin to permeate it into every relationship that we have. Now how does he do that? Well, if we know then that this restoration has taken place, or this reconciliation has taken place, that must mean there's something new that's about ready to go out. And here comes our word, restoration. Now, let me try to explain the difference in reconciliation and restoration using what happened back in the Civil War, okay? Just go with me into history. I know some of you are like, oh, no, not history. But just follow me. This is going to make sense. Anybody that studied U.S. history knows that the, the, the end of the Civil War happened when Robert E. Lee, right, surrendered to General Grant at the Appomattox Courthouse. Now, in that surrender that happened there, this is the way I would say it. In that moment, now they had settled down. They actually kind of made more of a, a gentleman's agreement, but they came to this point where they became reconciled. The problem, though, that the country faced was is just because now the North and the South were no longer officially at war, we know, though, through Reconstruction that all of the United States had to be restored. So when we talk about reconciliation, it is this one-time act whereby which God now begins to deal with what used to be held between us and God, but now there becomes this plan of God to begin to restore all things which permeates itself into our families, into our marriages, into our work, into our friendships, and shoot, even to the place where Satan dwells, kids sports. God has given us a message of reconciliation, but let me tell you this, you cannot reconcile anybody if they are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are fully reconciled. There's nothing more to do. Everything has been dealt with, and whether or not we feel that reality or not, if you and I are in Christ, we are fully reconciled. But that doesn't mean, like in the Civil War, that we don't have to still work towards this thing called restoration, that we still have to begin to realize who we are in Christ in reconciliation, but bringing it to bear in restoration. And by the way, restoration is going to keep going from the cross until Jesus Christ returns, until finally one day, according to Revelation 21.5, Jesus will make all things new and everything that is reconciled will be restored fully and will enter into the peace in which he has for us. But until that time, there is going to be 
conflict. Now, oftentimes we don't know how to translate that into our lives because you're probably sitting there going, man, that's kind of highfalutin stuff, Todd. You're kind of, okay, that's, that's cool and whatnot. But how does that begin to work itself down into my life? Well, if we really believe as disciples of Jesus, we can do nothing in the sense of reconciliation that God has already done it, that by the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross is that it's a once for all completed action. Now what we do is we begin in all of our conflicts to aim for restoration. Notice that word, aim. I love it because here's the deal. To aim means that I am not necessarily going to hit that mark, but I can, gosh, gosh darn it, I can aim for it. Now this restoration has within it, I think, let me just kind of unpack with you, this big gigantic idea that we are these people that are working out in all the midst of the brokenness, all the midst of the my kingdom reality that got sabotaged by sin, is that we are working out what God has done in our lives and we're trying to work it out in our families, our friendships, and even in kids' sports. We are finding where conflict is, and let me use this word for restoration just to kind of wrap our minds around it just a little bit. Restoration is undoing what happened in the curse of the fall. So that means when conflict happens, it is the effect of the fall. It's, it's what happens inside a family. It's what happens inside of work and friendships and kids' sports. And this is what Paul meant in these verses that he was talking about up here in 2 Corinthians 13, 2, is that we're a part of something that is so big. When is the last time you entered into a conflict and you thought, oh my gosh, I'm a part of this gigantic plan of God whereby which he's reconciling people, he's creating peace between them, and then he's calling me to restoration to bring a completeness to this where people now become who they are and Jesus Christ is reconciled. This happens inside of our marriages. Man, this week, because I've been thinking about it, as my wife and I were having, let's just call them disagreements, I was asking myself in the back of my mind, what does restoration look like here? What does it look like to undo the effects of the fall that she so terribly had in her sinfulness and not mine? <laughs> but in that, as we begin to work it through, there's something that amazing that happens in conflict done rightly towards restoration. As I begin to see her and I being transformed in the image of Jesus, because this is what happens in conflict. As conflict begins to happen into our lives, we can either not deal with it, we can take it wrongly, we can do all kinds of ways, but when done rightly, we can start to have joy because in our lives, God is undoing the effects of the fall. He's transforming us and making us different. The people that we used to be are becoming all kinds of different because in the midst of that conflict, God is transforming us. We can now have joy because of it. Here's the next part. We can actually then in the midst of it also begin to, after aim for restoration, comfort one another. Why? Well, we comfort one another because conflict is just hard. I remember as we were having this conflict, we were, we were riding on a train between here and Los Angeles and, we're, and we were going downtown to have fun. And have you ever noticed when you're going downtown to have fun, God has a funny way of bringing up conflict? As we're on the train, we're riding, I think it's going to be this great getaway. All of a sudden, it just starts to happen. Now, I confessed to you last week, I'm a conflict avoider, so I want to just, you know, let's just pretend like everything's okay, baby. Let's just, not, let's just make it go away. But my wife is a confrontation seeker. She pressed into it. And pressing into it, though, in the back of my head, I kept asking myself the question, okay, God, what does it look like to aim for restoration? What 
in the fall has affected us that you want to undo. We begin to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to comfort one another. The amazing thing that started to happen is, is we were no longer focused upon my kingdom, but upon the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom in our discussion. We begin to do this incredible thing called agree with one another. And as we begin to agree with one another, we started to have this other thing called peace. And after we had peace, it's amazing. The love of God and the peace will be with you. In other words, as we begin to work this out, as God had called us to in that particular moment, God was with us in the midst of that. And I promise you then, at the end of our train ride, we greeted one another with a holy kiss. (laughs) Now, what does that mean? One time I was having conflict with one of my kiddos and we were kind of working through an issue. And I don't know if you've ever had this with your kids, but as we begin to kind of have this confrontation, I was working my child through it. All of a sudden, my child was on the other side of the bed and my child began to move closer and closer and closer and closer to me. As we begin to work through different things together, suddenly next thing I know, my child is sitting there right next to me in a very beautiful way. We were seeing what's going on here is that working through conflict brings unity. It brings oneness. It brings what God has intended all the way from the beginning, the intent of God that his people would be one, that they would work together, that they would now become these ones that have realized not only a relationship between me and God, but between each other. I think the downside of what happened with Brent that he was talking about earlier in this conflict he was sharing with you about, it absolutely drove them the opposite direction apart, which is God's opposite intent of what he had. Paul is saying and talking about this, the thing that we have to shoot for, the reason that we aim for this, and I would say this is because there's something bigger at play here than just us getting along. In Galatians 6.1, he uses this same word for, for restore that he uses in, in 2 Corinthians 13. Now watch this, and some of you know this. But brothers, look, if anyone's caught in any transgression, watch this. You who are spiritual should restore, and let's just put it this way, should work to undo the effects of the fall in their life, to help them to become the person that God has intended them to be, to cause them to flourish in who God has them, should restore this one in his spirit, now watch this, of what? Gentleness. Why? Because conflict is just hard. How many times have we done conflict in non-gentleness? This word gentle is an interesting word that he uses here. If if you've ever been somebody that's had a sunburn before and then stepped into a hot shower, this is the opposite. I will never forget as a child when I had a sunburn, my mom came into me and, and she had aloe vera. You know the difference between a hot shower and aloe vera after a sunburn? That's gentle. Paul says, we're not seeking to get our way, my kingdom, my goals, my desires. Do you realize how much you hurt me? Do you understand what's going on? Do you see the mess that you've created? That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about something so different of how do we now bring a salve into this, an aloe vera of sorts, that as we walk through this, there's a gentleness to it. And then watch this. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, pride can sneak in on you and get you. But instead, in this conflict reality, I want you to bear one another's burdens. Care for each other. 
Paul is saying, I think, the same thing in 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12 when he's talking through this reality is that there is something bigger than us that's going on. And I think the bigger than us was the prayer of Jesus back in John 17 when he prayed. I do not ask for these only, that being these ones that Jesus had, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, all of us sitting here that know Jesus that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, me working through my conflict with somebody else, we oftentimes say, I just want, I want peace in my home. I, wanna, I want things just to be better. I want all these different things. But when is the last time you said, I want this to come together so that the world might believe that Jesus sent me? I want that type of unity that's going on inside of my life so that people see us and they watch us and realize that we're not perfect, but the power of God is working through us. And so that as they watch us work through conflict, they literally begin to believe that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father. Watch this. And the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, that unity that he's talking about, that agreement, that kissing one another, that type of closeness. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. When I was a kid, I had a, uh, uh, my parents had a conflict on the way to church. Anybody ever had one of those? And I don't even remember what the conflict was about, but I think I told you guys last week, my mom's a, a, a conflict uh, seeker, my dad's a conflict avoider. But have you ever noticed when you get mad enough, you can switch? And so my mom was doing what she, you know, did, and she's trying to draw to my dad, you know, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. And finally, my dad, I'll never forget this, we were getting, we were almost ready to get off the freeway. He gets off the freeway, pulls it over, and he just looked over my mom and he said, that is enough! All of us kids are in the background freaking out. And then we went quietly to church, and I remember just sitting there in church going, what in the world just happened? And then afterwards, have you ever experienced this? Suddenly your mom and dad are just fine. And you're like, what in the world? You two almost, dad, you almost threw her out the car and we drove off. Like, what in the world is going on? I think there's a side of this, though, where my parents probably should have, and we're, I should as a parent. We don't explain to people enough, this is what took place and this is what God has done. This is the big reality. If you want your kids to know and love and follow Jesus, it's not that you should, you know, fight in front of them. I'm not saying that. But they see the tension that's going on in front of you, and they should also see the restoration that takes place after. They should see and proclaim the greatness of God after it takes place. Now, I think there's two key realities that I'm going to leave you with before we kind of have some time to reflect on this. One is, in some way, you will either give an accurate picture or an inaccurate picture of God when you're in conflict? That's the question we need to ask going into it. I think in another way that we need to kind of talk about that's a reality in your conflict is in some way you will either help or hinder you or another's growth in Christ. Which do you intend to do? Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to go through a couple questions before I bring Tan and Carol up to, to finish this off. Now, if you've got your phone, if you've got something to write with, I want to walk through these questions with you, and we're just going to spend a little bit of time just kind of reflecting off of what Brent has talked about and I've talked about, just kind of wrestling a little bit about this. What are, we, what are we going to do with this? Now, here's what I want you to do. Look at number one. What is generally your first response to conflict, fear, frustration, understanding, anger, resolve, fleeing? 
you might need to, to kind of think through a current or past conflict to answer this question, or maybe even if any of you are brave enough, ask somebody that knows you right next to you. But how do you generally first respond to conflict? Let's look at that for just a second. Take a little bit of time. You can talk if you want to, but like I said, you can talk. Talk it over if you want to. How do you generally respond to conflict? Okay, there's too much laughing. This is supposed to be serious. next question. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 11 commanded us to aim for restoration. Now just think about this for a second. Why didn't he write, make restoration happen? But what is the difference between the two of make it happen and aim for it? And how would your con conflict change if your first response was to aim for restoration? What if that was your first response? How would a recent conflict or even conflict as you kind of wrestle through it, how would it be different? Okay, go ahead and talk about it if you want to, or you can think alone. Remember, to aim for restoration is to seek to help the other person or yourself to be the person God intended you to be. That's the goal of aiming for restoration, helping the other person or yourself to flourish. Okay, here's your third question. When a conflict has gone wrong for you, how do you think aiming for restoration could have produced a different outcome? It's kind of the same question, just a little bit differently. But maybe just think through a recent conflict that you had between you and a spouse, you and a friend, uh, you and, and a coworker. If you would have been thinking about aiming for restoration, how could it have produced a different outcome? too, if you need to confess sin to one another because you've done it wrongly, now would be a good time if you have a spouse or a friend or somebody sitting next to you that you struggle with conflict, just say to them, you know what, I approached that wrongly, please forgive me.
All right, final question. Then I'm going to bring Dan and Carol Lovejoy up. Last week we discussed that we tend to seek or avoid conflict for different reasons. How does the conflict change if you seek or avoid conflict with your aim being restoration? So in other words, Paul avoided conflict because he was so fearful in one way of hurting the the Corinthian people, but then another place he took it head on. What is something that you need to do here to think about in my conflict I currently have, do I need to avoid it? Or is it best right now to seek it for restoration? Think about that for a second. Okay, I'm going to turn it over now to, to Dan and Carol. They're going to bring our service to a close. But just to kind of share a little bit about their, their life history and how they, they have dealt with conflict in the past. Or not dealt with it well. So Todd asked us to share some, some of our thoughts and experiences with conflict. And just talking about conflict caused conflict. <laughs> so we thought we'd share first about a situation where conflict went wrong. Uh, It wasn't a very good example of how the kingdom works or how we were aiming for restoration. Our first date. We wasted no time. (laughs) So Dan and I had gone to a nice dinner. I was getting ready to graduate in a few months, and Dan asked if I was going to sit for the CPA exam. Yes, we're both accountants. It involves a great deal of preparation and means afterwards you have to take a very big test and then do two years of an auditing internship with a large accounting firm. The pay is horrible. The hours are grueling. I told him I was not going to sit for the test. Okay, now this made no sense to me. How could she possibly invest this much time in school? And not only was she going to have an accounting degree, she was going to have a double major in finance, and how could she waste all of that? I told him, I figured I only had a few years before I was going to get married and start a family, and I intended to stay home with my children, and I didn't want to waste those few years I had doing auditing. (laughs) Okay, I totally missed that this beautiful woman was telling me she was looking forward to getting married and having a family. Instead, I said that was a stupid idea. (laughs) She was wasting all the time she'd put into school. That created a bit of a discussion at the restaurant. Needless to say, the rest of the dinner and the ride home were fairly quiet. Let's face it. Carol had a great mindset and heart on this. And that's often, or at least sometimes, how conflict works. One person's able to stay more focused on the kingdom, and the other one can't see past their own agenda, especially if they want to enforce their own agenda on someone else. That conflict was all about my plan and my view of the way the world should operate. And in that moment, if Dan had stopped and seen what the long-term picture would have looked like, how we could put Christ on display in our home, he would have worked toward unity. 
And he's so much better at that now. <laughs> and it's not just with each other. We're able to carry those principles we've learned and share them in other people's lives. Right. But let's also not forget I did get a second date. And it's so, it's so exciting and encouraging to see when conflict goes well. So let's share one of those. This week we were moving some things out of the backyard and either into the side yard or into the garage. I figured I'd get a head start and just move it all into the garage. Now that made quite a mess and it wasn't exactly the plan that Carol had. I came into the garage and my first thought was, I wish he'd asked me first. So there it is. He had a plan and I had a plan and they weren't the same conflict. And let's face it, this wasn't a big deal. And most of our conflicts aren't usually over big things. They're minor things. Yeah. So now we have a choice. Do we work for our own plan or do we work to see how God is going to refine us in this? There's the temptation to sin right in front of us. Now I have to know that Carol is not my enemy. She's my sister in the Lord and there is an enemy and what's his job? His job is to divide us. So Satan's at play right out of the gate. And so now he wants us distracted from what uh, Paul calls in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what he wants to do. He wants battle. But Carol is not the enemy. So unity becomes the goal. So rather than getting defensive about my own plan, we submit to one another in love and work together for a common plan. Philippians 2, 1 to 4 says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love in unity and humility. Acts 15 shows a great conflict among Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. In that story, these three great men, great men of faith have a disagreement. On a missionary journey, Paul basically says, I'm not taking Mark. He's deserted us before, and I'm not taking that chance again. Barnabas, the encourager, steps up and says, I'll take Mark. We'll go this way, and you go that way. When I was reading about this conflict yesterday in an article about these men of God, Dan looked at me and said, are you crying? And I said, yeah, this is sad. It's, it's heartbreaking when this happens, and, and it's hard to read it in Scripture, too. Um, and you could look at that conflict and say, great, the team is breaking up, let's quit. Instead, what you get are two teams, one led by Paul and the other led by Barnabas. And the gospel now moves out on two fronts with two teams. And we read later that Paul, while in prison, says, send me Mark. I need his help. This Mark that later wrote the gospel of Mark and is likely the scribe for Peter. Talk about conflict resolved well. Now, we don't read in scripture, in scripture how they resolved it, but it's sure obvious they did. And all of us get to be encouraged by the fact that these great men of faith experienced conflict, but it didn't stop them from their ministry or from sharing the gospel. Nor should it stop us. So while I was sitting here, I got a text from our daughter. Last night we shared that we were getting up here and... Um, she lives out of the area and doesn't go to this church anymore. And she said, good luck this morning. Also, I had an epiphany. If your discussion is about conflict, and conflict only arises because we are imperfect and sinners, 
then doesn't that mean that at the same point, someone in the conflict will look stupid? Because essentially it is, it only exists because we're stupid and imperfect sinners. Conflict generally arises in us because of our experience or opinions. I think the point of conflict is to show how desperately we need God's grace and God's perspective in every situation. So I guess you learned something <laughs> from us. <laughs> Who knew? All right, we've got some takeaways. So right now, which is kind of what you're not supposed to do at church, grab your phones, turn them on, time for pictures. Not of us, of slides, okay? And so let's see if I do this right. Hey, hey. Good job. Okay, number one, identify a place of conflict in your life because conflict is is an unavoidable reality in our lives. Okay, that's not the question that's on the screen. Oh, great. I'm on the wrong list. No, you're on the right list. Oh. Ty, did you give us different questions? (laughs) Okay. What was the conflict you were seeking to address in your life last week? That's question one. Question two, there it goes. Wait, did you get a picture of one? Okay. Question two, what do you need to do now to address this conflict in your life? Even if it's going poorly, what's the best way to make much of God in this conflict? What will bring you or the one with whom you are in conflict the most spiritual growth? What will be good news to the onlookers of your conflict? Do you need to seek or avoid conflict? Keep in mind, people are watching, okay? Our relationship with with Jesus Christ and the way conflict works isn't just about us. It's also about what people see in us. Three, ask God this week to reveal to you what you need to do. And four, ask God this week to give you the resolve to fight for the kingdom and true peace and not my kingdom. Okay? All right? Well, let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for the fact that you have called us to yourself, that we are your kids that we get the opportunity to call you Father. And Father, as we work through conflict, God, I just pray that you would help us to realize who the enemy is. Not the one we're in conflict with, but that Satan is working to divide us, create in us the desire for our own kingdom and not for yours. Father, as we go through this week, help us to think carefully and consider carefully how we get into conflict and how we progress through it. Always, Father, aiming to bring, aiming to bring restoration. God, thank you for this morning in your name. Amen. There he is. You can stand to your feet. Thank you, Dan, Carol. How can you go wrong with the last name Love Joy? I mean, is that not just an awesome way to end conflict? Love, joy. Wow. Um, let me just give a couple of announcements on our way out. One, uh, marriage conference. Two weeks from this.
past Friday. Um, we were uh, blessed to be able to give out some uh, buy one, get one freeze two weeks ago. We have nine left new ones that have come in. Uh, we've had nine donors uh, give a blessing to the church um, to say, do whatever you can to get couples to this conference. So if you need a little tune-up or you just need a weekend away, two weeks from this weekend, we'll be in Ventura with probably about 250 to 300 other couples, and I'll be spending the weekend together. Love to have you guys come. If you're interested in that, see me out in the foyer, okay? I'm going to read this verse uh, that I found this week as we leave. Um, also, one last thing. Um, in three weeks is the 25th anniversary. Is that correct? All right. 25th anniversary for us here at Cornerstone. And so you're going to be hearing a lot about that in the weeks to come. In fact, um, you're going to be seeing a lot of that about that as well. And uh, just be in prayer uh, over the next several weeks as we just celebrate all that God's done here at Cornerstone and all the people that uh, he's transformed through the years. And we're looking forward to uh, celebrating with you guys and others who have been impacted by God's work here. Paul says this, and this is our prayer for you. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And so this week, our prayer is that you will take the power of God and the word of God, and you will surrender it to him in your resolve to work through this conflict. Amen? Amen. Dismiss. We'll see you next week.